things that were intended to be transient. The ads, the newsy bits from beekeeping journals, the announcements of 1940s automobiles. You could call me an ephemeralist. Take, for example, old business magazines from the 1920s. If you look for them online, you will find advertised therein myriad systems for organizing papers. There are, quite literally, pigeonholes for sale. There are articles about sorting documents, and by reading these things, I gain insight into what office life must have been like back then. Then, drifting over to a newspaper article, I'll search for an address. I've been working out of a particular building in New York City, so I looked it up one day and found that this building was once leased by the New York City Department of Welfare. A little more poking around, and I determined, via some basic mathematics, that while we have room for 100 people working here now, back then there were 300 people on this floor. One night, after everyone went home, I walked around and mentally removed the bathrooms, the spare closets, the glassed-in conference rooms, and imagined where the desks had gone, and how people would have had to work in shifts, and realized that nearly one hundred years ago, as many as six hundred people might have come through here each day. I could not find any photos of the space in the early 1900s, but I found similar photos from the city archives, photos of people amid great big piles of papers, rubber stamp kind of stuff. It was an age of gray-collar tabulation, whereas today we are in an age of white-collar computation. There must have been so much work. As an ephemeralist, the past is always around me. Now, every time I hit a button in the elevator in my office building, I imagine what it was like here in a different era, the way people must have smelled and the things they would have said. I think about how elevators seem awfully crowded some days. But what would that have been like with three times the people here? On the way to my floor, the doors open on co-working spaces with speedy wireless, and young people get on and off. There is so much past available, so cheaply, especially the past of cities. There are thousands of photographs of old New York sitting in databases ready to be searched and found. The images themselves are basically free from meaning. Books have edges and boundaries. Thumbnails of old photos do not. It's up to the finder what to make of them. That so many of these databases end up being used to trace genealogy makes sense. One of the fundamental questions that preoccupy humans is, where did I come from? That question interests me as well, but in a broader sense, not related to genetics, but to language, culture, the choices people make about pants and hairstyles. I grew up in a college town, and one thing I always loved doing was looking through copies of The Serpentine, that was the name of the yearbook, and observing the change in culture as the years went on. The 1920s were all serious faces. Everyone looked like they were 40 years old, even though they were 19. You can start to see the idea of college take hold in the 1930s, the notion of self-discovery instead of just training in a discipline. And then, in the 1950s and 1960s, everyone became a sort of miniature adult. The young men were photographed next to their convertibles. There were pipes. The women spent great time on their hair. Then the late 60s came, and with it a complete explosion. Of drugs, swirling magic marker sketches, everyone gone blousy, song lyrics scrawled into yearbook pages. In the 1990s, the effects of desktop publishing were starting to be felt, and as a result, any hint of childishness vanished. Everything began to look so professional. The meaning of reading this way doesn't land quickly, and sometimes it doesn't land at all. It is ephemeralism for the purest pleasure of it. 
There is no ethical lesson, no particular sympathy to be gained for a subject. There is no moral, no beginning, no ending, and very little tragedy. Only change. On old radio shows, you can hear the way the voices sounded, the way vowels sounded. In old magazines, you can see lithography take over whole pages that previously had been composed of pure type, and then yield to photographs. You can bathe in a world of type specimens, museum catalogs, comical narratives about aeroplanes, jest books, and so forth. It is glorious, lovely to read and accessible, subtle, full of mystery, often hilarious. Books and websites are both always begging for attention. But that is the best thing about ephemeralism. There isn't a marketing message, nothing that you must read. There's just an endless collection of stuff. It's urgency, long fed. Ephemeralist reading is halfway between the collective pleasures of a social network and...